Yeah, a little known fact about Sarah is that she's married to <laughs> married? Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. Hey, it's welcome good to be back. here. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Paul. Hello. Hey, ben. I heard you guys want to chat a little bit about a rather esoteric programming language, at least in this day and age. What have you got for me? Oh, well, you know, the governor of New Jersey announced that they desperately need COBOL programmers. Yeah, and they're looking mm. for volunteers. So New Jersey is looking for volunteer COBOL programmers, which is... Not the easiest thing to find. Well, I mean, we should we should like back it out because not everyone's even going to know what COBOL is. Right. C-O-B-O-L. Yes. Okay? okay. And it stands for Common Business Oriented Language. This is one of the old ones. This was actually partly designed by Grace Hopper. Mm. Yeah. First appeared 1959. Yeah. So she was a like a, a an legend. admiral or a commander in the, in the Navy who yeah. was like a very, very early programmer, and for obvious reasons is kind of an emblem in a world of, of like, not enough female programmers. Like, she was yes. there at the beginning. We all and have posters she, of her on our walls. Exactly. No, I, do, I have the tattoo. <laughs> uh, and so Kobo became, everybody makes fun of it, but it really was, like, if you ever look at it and read it and try to learn it, it's pretty straightforward. It's very ugly. Like, it's, like, begin, procedure, and, and kind of like wooden. It's like if the Hulk came up with a programming language. Yeah, but, <laughs> but kind of like all the language, like everything coming out of the 50s, kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. I remember this now. So Clive was on the podcast and he was telling us about Flowmatic, which was the one Grace Hopper came up with. And basically they were thinking to themselves, computers are going to be really important. We don't want them to be inaccessible. We want the military industrial complex in the U.S. to thrive. So we got to make this easy enough for your average business person to use, right? It can't just be assembly language and numbers only. It's got to be human-readable Hulk language. Yeah, That's human-readable right. Hulk language is exactly what they're thinking. <laughs> and so it's it's got a lot. Like The weird thing, though, is when you see the code, it's very readable. It's like add one to X. And you're like, okay, I'm adding one to X or, yeah. you know. <laughs> The other thing it has is a really nice data description sort of picture language that makes it very easy to um, sort of define data. And so that was like, it's a, like the early, this is before SQL, like you would use this to get your, your data work done. Anyway, Jersey is in trouble, not just for the regular New Jersey reasons, but their unemployment claims have gone through the roof and their unemployment systems are crashing. And mm -hmm. what language are they all written in? You may not, you may or may not know about this, but I am a New Jersey native and I love the great state of New Jersey. And when I first saw this, I was like, I mean, how hard can it be? They need volunteers. Our great state needs volunteers, COBOL volunteers. How hard could this be? I mean, Sarah, this is like your moment. To shine. That's this right. is it. <laughs> you're looking you're for old coders. <laughs> you're like I've <laughs> I've done embedded jewelry. I can do. I'm here for you. Yeah. We're looking for old old female coders from New Jersey. This is it. <laughs> this is <laughs> it. This is my moment. I, see, I think this is the problem, though, right? Like, I could learn COBOL and be pretty good. I think. I, I've yeah. spent, I, 
I always actually kept an eye on it because just in case everything went south, there was always COBOL. <laughs> but uh, there's fewer jobs than you think, and they tend to be like government and banking jobs that are really kind of hard to get. But then there's a part of me that's like, why not wear a short sleeve shirt and a necktie and go to work every day? And, <laughs> right. But the, I, I think the problem here, right, is like any one of us could learn COBOL. Yeah. And be pretty good at it if you're good in another language. It's just a language. Like, it's not, it's a, it's boring. And But there's object-oriented COBOL. You can do all this stuff. But who the hell knows how to scale COBOL on old IBM mainframes? Yeah, the first thing everyone's going to do when you, like, the first thing you do when you get a 40-year-old COBOL application running on your machine is you rewrite it. That's the only thing you're going to want to do. <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to be like, this is ridiculous. I can't. That's right. Yeah. And they're going to, it's not like you can, like, slot fastly in front of that bad boy and suddenly scales 20 times like yeah it's that green screen right yeah and then they put those layers in front of the green screen to like make it web accessible like of course everything gets api'd up but underneath you still got this mainframe running an operating system from yonder days yes. with a whole lot of cobalt in the 1950s computer users and manufacturers becoming concerned about the rising cost of programming a 1959 survey had found that in any data processing installation, the programming cost 800000 on average, and the translating the program to run on new hardware would cost 600000 So they had to come up with this nice, cheap, fast, business-oriented language. Man, they have no idea what Silicon Valley engineers cost these days, huh? I guess you have to inflation adjust that for 1959. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're into millions, right? And there's so apparently, there, you know, there's still probably hundreds of billions or 100 billion lines of COBOL code out. Yeah. In the world? Probably on a lot of important nuclear systems, since the (laughs) DOD was the first in here. (laughs) Yeah, no. Well, you know what it is even more is like military payroll. What's that? The the football. The What's the thing? The red football? Oh, the nuclear football? Yeah. Yeah. It's completely Or it could be written in ADA, which was the other Department of Defense language. Yeah. Kind of a neat one, actually. I, I don't know. I, I like you there. At the time, they were worried program is coming too expensive. The DOD operated a grand total of 225 computers. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, but they weren't, they were big. Like, yeah, they were as big as your apartment. 225 rooms, right? Yeah, 225 rooms filled with transistors, like IBM 360 systems. And, you right. know, this was a good way to get work done. Much like Sarah, I'm like, this is my moment. I'm ready. And of course, I don't really know COBOL. I, I hacked around with it once for like a week because I, I was curious as to how bad it really was. Yeah. It's also famously the worst language ever. Yeah, there, there's a in the Wikipedia entry, there's a lengthy section on complaints, <laughs> complaints and issues. <laughs> yeah, you know, also, I, I think probably the need, you know, like our, our ideal need is like, oh, they need a new section for dealing with this type of thing. No, they need to solve a problem that 50 programmers have tried to solve and band-aided mm-hmm. for 40 years. And and they need right. someone to go in there and fix that. And that's not going right. to be like something you could do in a 10 minute thing. Also, uh, all of our modern tools aren't going to work. Like yeah. you're not going to be able to like move it to cloud services, horizontally scale it. Like it's not <laughs> all the things that we would do with caching or, or whatever. Like I'm sure they're all valid because it's just computers and memory. You could right. figure out a way to do them. But nothing will be pluggable. So that would be a really interesting project, Paul, would be to like start from scratch do it in COBOL, but do it so that it works with a modern web and cloud. Like if you started, if you were like, I'm going to build a new application, I'm going to write it in COBOL, but it's also going to work with all the modern stuff. Could you do that? Well, I mean, they keep updating COBOL, right? So if you look at, at ver- there's like a version, let's see, what's the most recent COBOL? I mean, you've got object-oriented, COBOL 2014. In 2002, they put out object-oriented COBOL. And then 
In 2014, they've got method overloading and IE754 data types. So this little guy is up to speed. Paul, what do we got on uh, Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange? I mean, are people asking questions about this? I know when we do our annual dev survey, it often shows up as one of the languages where you're the most highly paid because there's so few people, but it's required for these vital pieces of infrastructure, these vital systems. Well, I don't know if anybody knows what this like statistical bias would be, but I think what I would say is it's very unlikely that your COBOL programmer is on the web asking questions <laughs> on Stack, Stack Overflow. Overflow. They have That's nine harsh. books that's that they harsh. use yeah. every day. They're in a room where the, the books floor... are this thick. Yeah, that's right. There's like these really big books they're in a... and they're on the shelf in a room where the floor is a foot above the actual floor yeah. so that they can run uh, <laughs> enormous cables. Yeah, it has that mainframe smell. I don't know if anyone's right. ever smelled oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Is that, yeah. I'm not making that up, the right? Like mainframe the fans smell? And like, there's no smell quite like it. You just go into that burnt. data room. It's like kind of metallic, but also yeah. like taped and very plasticky and, and very yeah. soothing too. You're like, ah, oh, I'm, mm. in, I'm inside the computer. <laughs> so I have bad news when it comes to Stack Overflow and COBOL, uh, which is, <laughs> oh, no. I mean, if we take a look at, let me just, <laughs> Java, questions. So the other giant enterprise language that runs billions and billions of lines of code, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Java has 1,655,745 questions. Okay, okay. Respectable, very respectable. Okay. COBOL has 1,360. <laughs> oh, my God. You know why? Because it's so easy to use. Nobody has any questions. It's because it's a perfect language. That's it. That's right. <laughs> Everyone else is wasting their time. I mean, this is a, this is actually, if we are to be honest about how programming is done today, this is the number one barrier to COBOL success. Because if you can't just cut and paste from Stack, Stack Overflow, Overflow to get your job. <laughs> <laughs> All these volunteers in New Jersey are going to be like, uh, yeah, what? What? <laughs> what's, what's the Wi-Fi? Pause. Yeah. You just take that Flatiron course on uh, Intro on to COBOL, COBOL and you're good to go. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. right. They just they just drop a big pile of transistors on your desk and say that's your development environment. There's no there's no YouTube influencers streaming early COBOL hacks. Yeah. What this does imply though is like really old school, like nineteen fifties and sixties, seventies COBOL programmers in New Jersey. Like their lives must have been awesome. They were making yes. money, they were going to the shore. They worked at ATT. Oh, dude, they worked at AT&T, they worked at Xerox, they worked at Edison. I mean, like, you know, before Calif- before Silicon Valley, New York was, and New Jersey was the hotbed of technology, right? That's true. Bell Labs is out there. That's Bell the Labs. birthplace of Unix. Like, we are, yeah. it is Jersey. Yeah. It's Jersey. the actual, the true Silicon Valley. One, yes, of my, yes. one of my very early roles was, I think I've mentioned this before, was working on a database that tracked the huge eco-center of AT&T in New Jersey in a town called Bedminster area. And they have hmm. this huge, you go in, there's a lot of security. They have this huge, gorgeous statue in the beginning. The building has everything you could imagine from childcare to a place to get your hair cut. And uh, my job was monitoring assets of, of folks that were leaving. Oh my God. I'm just Was this before the- or after you did the uh, salted fish database, Sarah? It was around the same time. I think it was after the salted fish. Yeah. <laughs> that was your first New Jersey database job, right? Yeah. I'm looking at pictures of corporate headquarters in Bedminster. It's yeah. some good stuff. It's really good stuff. I mean, everything screams cobalt, to be honest. And then actually, interesting historical footnote, because a lot of that infrastructure was there, they then built out a lot of the high-speed fiber there. And then when high-frequency trading became a thing, all the tech-forward Wall Street shops all moved to Jersey so they could be closest to the fiber. 
We don't often come out with a really bold take on this show, but I think one we should stick with <laughs> is that New Jersey is the true birthplace of Silicon Valley. Yes. Yeah. And we should just lock I, in. That's the, yeah. Yeah, I'm ready for that. That's great. Yeah. It's the <laughs> absolute, no tech industry, nothing. Everything you like yeah. about your phone, yeah. thanks, New Jersey. Thank you, yeah. New Jersey. So how do we help the New Jersey governor? His name is Phil Murphy. Murphy. Now, number one yeah, way I mean, is by staying indoors. That is, if the- you know, <laughs> if you know a computer science engineer or programmer or developer who worked in the '60s and '70s or '80s and has since retired and who isn't oh, isn't frequently online, give them a call and say, "Hey, retired you know, Cobol, Cobol developers, yeah. yeah." You know, honestly, I mean, they put out the call to medical workers of all kinds. A lot of people came out of retirement to do it on the front line. So, if you're retired. COBOL programmer or no one. Help us put out the call. Help people get their unemployment benefits and uh, get through this hard time. Yeah. I, I don't think this is going to be a good scene. I don't think this is going to be like healthcare.gov where everybody like <laughs> rallies and they're like, we're going to use agile methodologies to get this thing fixed up and out. And, you know, the big contractor has to go away so that a bunch of like smart up and comers can, can really make a difference. I, I think yeah. might, this one might be kind of rough. Like you got a lot of Right. Older, very stubborn COBOL programmers showing back up, having to remember COBOL, which is something you probably want to forget. Like you probably work <laughs> to forget it. Uh, I don't think so. It's like riding a bike. It's like doing basic algebra. It's yeah, there's right no right there's no agile COBOL. Nothing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there is. There was at one point after Ruby on Rails got big, somebody came out with, and it was a joke, but it was kind of a joke, like kind of like, but maybe called COBOL on cogs. <laughs> So, <laughs> COBOL maintenance, a modern for modern agile processes. What, what's Cobol what's Jersey's dogs. the garden state? Is Jersey yes. the garden state? Yes. Okay, so we'll call it Sil- Silicon Garden. What are we going to call it? I love that. Snap Silicon, it. Yeah, garden. Silicon Garden. Oh, Silicon Garden. Yeah, Perfection. That is what it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm adding that to my Twitter bio. Definitely. Because Silicon Alley is New York. Silicon Valley is California. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Stack Overflow for Teams the best way to organize and share knowledge across your company. It's used by small startups and some of the biggest companies in the world today. It's free on the basic tier until June 30th with no credit card required. Head on over to stackoverflow.com teams and check it out. You guys want to hear a kind of weird and slightly scary story? It's not, Always. I don't know if it's scary. So, you know, for a long time, I was a journalist. That was the job I had for my first 12, 13 years out of college before I went into marketing and communications for tech stuff. And so I went to CES for many years. Mm-hmm. And so that's a weird show because there's like Google's there doing ads and, you know, like Amazon's there showing off Alexa, you know, whatever. But then there's also giant halls that you can go and visit full of component manufacturers who are there to like meet people and sell them transistors and a better Bluetooth, you know, connector and all this other stuff. So sometimes I would go check out those halls just to see what was up. And so you would get on these email lists. If you ever went to CES, you would get on these email lists and you would just get hundreds and hundreds of emails every year from people who are going to be exhibitors at CES who are kind of doing like a spray and pray, you know, come see my booth, come check out my stuff, please write about me. And so I've never gotten off those lists. And everywhere oh, I go, yeah. every new job I have, they somehow discover my new email address. The power start... of the internet. <laughs> exactly. So for a while, I was just getting random. I would get random things like, do you need buttons? Are you in the market for buttons? And I was like, hmm, you know, I just delete them or whatever. So over the last two weeks, the supply chain manufacturers have started emailing me things with headlines that say like, trustworthy Chinese supplier. And then they're just offering me 
medical equipment that like medical equipment that we really need. And I have no idea if any of this is legit or not. Like what kind like PPE? Dear sir or madam, I'm in the business of the Shandong Lishan Century Medical Technology. We mainly deal with masks, equipment, medical equipment, and have a large inventory. If you're interested, please reply. And then they've, it's got like a government sealed signed letter from China, a certificate of registration from the FDA. Like, it's just so bizarre. They're like trying to sell me this stuff, which I know people desperately need. And I have zero idea if any of this is real, like if I could actually buy this stuff. I'm sure it's real. Like we're in a absolute, everything is banana cakes and they're yeah. over there going, oh, we're going to, first of all, Chinese manufacturing is kind of amazing. Like they probably right. switched to masks in, in, in about five minutes. And then they're like, well, we better start selling these masks. We can make that good, <laughs> good, sweet money. Everybody needs dollars. All these and people then, who used to make, you know, electronics components have now switched to medical supplies. And I'm just on the spray and pray list of people in the U.S. who might buy that stuff. Well, you know what you're seeing, right, is that there is the marketplace here is very I think we pretend with the Internet that we have worked out marketplace dynamics perfectly and mm. venture capital is going to come in and make new marketplaces and we're going to fit. But what this has shown is that there's very little like I, I gave some money recently to a friend of a friend who has good insight into Chinese supply chain and was able to get a lot of protective equipment shipped directly to New York state from a factory mm. in China. And they literally right. had like pictures of the boxes stacked in the warehouse in China with the address of different medical facilities in New York City on them. Right. And I was like, that knowledge, it turns out to be extremely rare. It, it seems mm. like it would be very normal. And I've talked to people yeah, who've done stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've talked to people who've done stuff in Shenzhen. There's a good book by Bunny Huang called, uh, which is like literally about how to do things in Shenzhen and in yes. China around getting electronics made. It is a whole world and a whole culture. And I know that's really obvious, right? But I think there's an assumption that this knowledge is somehow that there are enough fixers and enough folks. That I think there are if you want to get your, you know, your laptop camera widget made or, right. you know, a new stuffed animal that has a chip inside of it. But like this kind of supply chain dynamic stuff. We don't, we don't actually have a framework or an efficient marketplace that anyone can understand at this scale. And it just like that part of the system, that whole part of the world that we assume just is very digital and efficient, completely broke apart. One thing that's surprising to folks, I think, is it's a lot of personal relationships, right? Like it's one thing like, Ben, you're getting the email. The thing that'll happen if you answer that email is you're going to be one of 700 people that say yes to that email. They right. have no idea the size of your pockets and how good of a customer that you're going to be. Totally. So if you answer, it's going to be a month and a half out, right, before yeah. you see anything. But if you're someone that personally knows someone at that factory and you say, hey, like Paul's talking about, hey, I need 50 of these boxes sent to the U.S. Here's the right. cash. That'll happen tomorrow. Yeah, yeah I no, mean, the, the most powerful sense. way to hack the supply chain is to say, oh, I know your cousin. Right. Like that is <laughs> suddenly... The entire thing becomes incredibly transparent, but it's yeah. like until you get to that point. Yeah. If you can speak to them in Chinese and if you know somebody there or if you can be on the ground and it better yet, if you can know somebody they know, speak Chinese, be on the ground and have your cash in hand. Yeah. Things can get done. But over the Internet or in the cloud, it doesn't work, you know, like the way you would expect it to. I, I think what what you see is also like it's not 
purely about profit. When marketplaces are like, hey, I want to get a big TV and, you know, I can wait a week to get a TV. No one's going to die if they don't get the TV. And right. like, you know, and there's a lot of, I can build up some inventory of my TVs or say you need to wait two weeks and they'll come over on a boat. Like we're actually not as real time as we pretend. We, we have this huge apparatus that lets us pretend that we're operating just in time, real time, et cetera. And all, the, but it actually comes down to like a lot of Amazon warehouses and, you know, boats that are in the ocean right now. And will totally. take a while to get to the port of LA. You know, something that happened that's just, I just want to mention at random is a guy thought that the hospital ship in LA was sinister. So he drove his train at it and the train didn't quite make it all the way. Wait, hold on. There's a lot of parts of that sentence that I have questions about. It's not related to coding in any way. He was a locomotive engineer at the uh, at the port at in the port. L.A. How do you yeah, steer a train? Like, did he go he just off shot the tracks? It, literally, he went off the tracks. He went off the rails. <laughs> and he was aiming to hit. Mentally, emotionally, and physically, he went yeah. off the rails. <laughs> he was aiming to hit the hospital ship because he's like, it's suspicious. They're not telling us enough. And this was my one chance. Oh, my God. Wow. And, but he didn't. The trains really slow down when they get off the track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Best effort of that hospital ship truther, but he fell a little short. I just can't stop thinking about that guy because he's just like, <laughs> oh, OK, my one chance. And then there must have been that moment where the train just stops 750 feet away from the boat. <laughs> and he's like. Uh, yeah, like the boat is still man. just this little tiny guy that you can blot out with your thumb. Yeah. And I should have used that, my Subaru. That's yeah. uh, Homer Simpson going over Springfield Gorge right there. Exactly. All right, we're going to wrap it up soon. We're going to try to keep these episodes tight. So I'm going to read you guys some lifeboats and we can say our goodbyes. All right. Sounds great. Awesome. Single, play, single page application implemented with JavaScript slash query from Night Owl Pay page manager night owl pergamer <laughs> okay well thanks for that appreciate the help appreciate the lifeboats paul sarah thanks for tipping us off about cobol if you know somebody who knows that language even if they're in retirement new jersey could use their help and the fine people of new jersey who are out of work due to this catastrophe could use their help any other shout outs we want to give before we uh... i'm just a big i gotta say I, I am increasingly becoming a big fan of the retro computing stack and mm. there's a good question that that's out there in in the network questions today how did old games from 8-bit area game consoles store their music and uh, mm. yeah just fun just like how much bandwidth does it create do you need to get you know 500 notes in there that kind of thing yeah so. nice cool nice sweet all right i'll give a shout out to zara cooper who wrote for the stack overflow blog today a practical guide to writing technical specs it's a nice little Important piece of work stuff. if you're sitting at home and looking for something to read yeah, yeah. I'm also, I have committed to trying to understand how React manages state through context and hooks. And I think I'm going out of my mind. Yeah, you should talk to um, my unnamed partner. That's their only job. Oh, really? Yeah. We need to go with like a, co a show code name. Yeah, I'll yeah, volunteer. Yeah. You should talk to... Uh... Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. talk to Satoshi. I'm sure he'd love to. Satoshi, the creator of Bitcoin. So I, you know, we yes. I, we never bring that up on the show, but people should know it's such a fun thing to I talk mean, about. I mean, he doesn't. He hates talking about it. So he's, he's very like private very about secretive, it. Very secretive. Mm. You've got like 14 billion dollars of Bitcoin. I, I just you guys should have more fun. Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> all right, everybody. We hope you all are well. You can always hit us up, podcast at Stack Overflow. You can find me online at Ben Popper on Twitter. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me online at Sarah J. Chips on Twitter. I'm the director of community here at Stack Overflow. And you can find me online at F-Train on Twitter. I'm Paul Ford, the co-founder of Postlight, a digital product studio. Wonderful.